0: Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encouraged you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. But what we decided that worship, I think the thing the Lord wants to form, oh it came back Dave, okay, was this idea that you could come in here and you could be the type of person that likes to sing. Anybody here like to sing? Uh, If we handed you an instrument of worship, so like we gave you a, a, a bongo, you'd be like, this is fun. If I handed some of you a bongo, you'd be like, what do I do with this? I don't have rhythm, and I don't like this part of the service. And so we can come in here sometimes, and we can be like, well, if what God wants is just flamboyant worship, we can learn an outward behavior. But that's not what we're talking about, correct? Have you ever met somebody? This is what Dave said that comes into worship and gives free worship, but their life at home doesn't match? You ever met somebody like that? Have you ever lived that? I have. So we're not just talking about outward singing or outward actions of praise. Uh, We're talking about being a living sacrifice. But we're also talking, and this is where I'm zooming in, is there's a very real thing that it seems like God in Scripture calls for and over and over again, I can't get past it, and I'm not good at it, and it's singing. God wants us to sing, and it has to come out of our mouth. And I've said this, I sound like a dying sea cow when I sing. So it's like, it's, it's a really unfair thing for God to ask me to do. But we've defined this, and, and the thing that I could, I think I can put my finger on what God wants to form, is it was from week one, we said, what's the chief end of man? Westminster shorter catechism y'all. You're like, "What? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and what? What was that? Say it again. And enjoy him forever." I think that's what God wants to form here. Cuz some of you were told your whole life, you better better bring a song. You better bring worship that's pure. Almost like a threat. But what does enjoying God produce? It's song, enjoyment, life. And so many of you, and I've been this Christian kid, I was taught to fear God and I was taught to worship God, but it was with no enjoyment. I think God wants his kids to enjoy him. My six year old daughter's sitting over there, and I love it when she likes me. That sounds weird, but it's a small little microcosm of what I think God wants from his kids. He didn't come to make slaves. He came to make sons and daughters. And sons and daughters who know who their father is and know who they are and enjoy being with them. And when they get in his presence, they're like, what else could we do but sing? So we've been looking at singing, and I want to try it here in a second, but we defined this even. We said, we believe that true biblical worship happens anywhere and anytime that the mind is filled with exalted thoughts about God, the heart is inflamed with joy and love for God, and Jesus is treasured as preeminent in our souls. Did you get all that? So we fill our minds with, well, the word says that the Lord is my shepherd. The word says that God is a father. The word says that he is the alpha and the omega, and I fill my mind with that truth. And it doesn't do me any good until it connects these two things in my heart, my heart and my mind. And when those two things sink, what happens? Oh, Not all the time, because I have a will. Well, who, what child has been blessed like we have with a a God in heaven who we can call Father wouldn't want? to give their will of praise to the Lord. So let's, let's try it. And, and, and by that definition, could true biblical worship happen in your living room? In your car? Your dorm room? Kitchen sink? Right here? Now, we're not going to have any musicians, but I, I want to try this. I'm going to read Galatians 4 over you. Don't open the Bible because you'll be like, what's the Greek say? Don't do that. Just hear the word of God, all right? God spoke this by the Spirit to Paul to write down, which means it's his word, right? So just even if you need to close your eyes, sometimes I have to close my eyes when I, read the, when I hear the word, so I'll actually hear the word. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law and that we might receive the adoptions as sons and daughters. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. Did you hear it? Did you hear what the word had to say? So I'm going to try something, and you're like, Andrew's trying things again. Will you stand up? I heard somebody say no. and I think I'm related to him. So. I just, <laughs> if you, can you close your eyes? And I want you to hold your hands out in front of you. We're going to worship God in there right now. We're going to try to enjoy the Lord. And so often we're keyed up into services and order and what's proper. So take Galatians in your mind right now and say, really roll it over. He has given you the spirit of adoption that you can call God Abba or Father, that you are not a slave, but you have been saved into family. And right now with your hands out, I want you to worship God. And if that leads you to kneel or to clap, or to lay down, or to cry, or nothing happens. Nothing has to happen. Your heart to his heart. The word just said, that's a proper thing to do, is to say, Father. And I want you to begin to tell God, God, I love you, or I miss you. Almost like a heart-to-heart connection. Worship the Lord right now. Forget about the space, forget about your week, forget about maybe you feel dirty, but the word said that he got you out from under the law and condemnation and gave you the spirit of sonship and daughterhood. You have been made new. You have access to the throne room of grace. You get to call God Abba, and it's not improper. He hears you and sees you right now. If you are in Christ, you are not dirty. You are not condemned. You are the righteousness of God. Maybe you miss God right now. Tell him. Maybe you haven't said thank you all week. Say thank you for being faithful to me. Give him worship. Begin to adore him. Begin to open up your heart and say, God, is there anything in here, in my heart, that you doesn't match yours? And if he points anything out, it's because you're a son or daughter, and he's gently disciplining you. He's making you more like his son. If you're struggling right now, picture yourself in an empty room. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus Christ. And he says, I want to meet with you. What is your reaction? Some of you start to cry because you're like, I'm so ashamed of me. But he's like, I'm not ashamed of you. I came to save you. What's your reaction when God comes towards you? Because he did at the cross. Stop running right now. Stop running from God. With arms out in front of you or laying on the ground, God, I want to know you. And I thank you that Jesus made every way that I get to know God. We don't have to live outside anymore. We get to come into the house. So we give you worship freely right now. We open our hearts, we open our lives, we give you praise. And there's no music, but it's my heart saying, Blessed be the name of the Lord. We honor you here. We worship you here. We will be a people that if the music's good, bad, happy, whatever it is, you will be worshiped. Because your word is true, we can call you Father. Because your word is true, you are a good shepherd. Because your word is true, you are the faithful and true one, even when we're not. Because your word is filling our minds, may our hearts and our minds connect right now, God. I just want you to have like a 30-second real conversation with the God of heaven who's real. Will you just tell him everything on your mind and on your heart? Would you invite him into the dark places of your life? Would you invite him into the normal places of your life? He died because he wants to know you. Father, you're good, and I feel your presence. But that's not a new thing because you said you'd never leave me or forsake me. Which means before I ever walked in here and said, Lord, bring your presence, you were here. Which means any Christian in this room, when they leave this room, you're still with them. Make us a people aware of your presence, aware of your promises, aware of your goodness. And may may our hearts and our heads Lead us to praise you in the car, in a quiet room, or a really busy room. We, as a people, we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. Come do this morning what no man or woman can do. Touch the human soul. Touch the heart of your people. Call us out of whatever we need called out of. Form the worship of cobblestone. Put your hand upon this place. We, I, we do not want to do this without you. And forgive us for the places that we have. So I'm not even going to say amen. I'm just going to say if you're having a caught up conversation with God, you do that all day. If you're kind of like, man, I feel like I'm good, you can take a seat. But if you lay on the floor the rest of this service, I don't care. God is actually better than a Christian service. Did you know that? That's actually why we gather. And so if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in a lot of places. And because worship is bigger than me, it's really hard to preach. Because one day we could be like, it's about how you live. And then the next day it could be, but there's these commands to praise God. You remember when we talked about the Hebrew words for praise? And so we've been making this argument that song, I don't know what it is about song, and I'm still like, I study the Bible a lot, but I'm like, God, why do you care so much about song? But it doesn't stop with the Old Testament or Hebrew. It it, it flows straight into the New Testament. And I just want to make that argument that the New Testament isn't just a word and deed. They're worshiping all the time. They're singing all the time. And we're actually commanded to do so. We just don't do it because I don't think we understand it. And then I want to spend the rest of the time just, just knocking off, not a punch list, but like so, about 10 things that I think could be helpful in forming what worship's supposed to be here. Um, and who knows if we end on time. But in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 15, the Apostle Paul's talking to the Corinthian church. They got a ton of gifts. They got a ton of worship. They're ecstatic, but they're also doing a bunch of stuff wrong. And he begins to tell them and teach them and correct them, Uh, but he says a very specific thing to them uh, about spirit and truth and spirit and action. And and like we're, we're a church that wants to be taught by the word and led by the spirit. We're a church that wants to worship in spirit and truth. We talked about that because God the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. So he's connecting it to prayer. There is a spiritual inward reality that we get to talk to God by the spirit. And then also he says, but I'm going to also pray with my head, with my noggin piece, with real thoughts that are cognitive, that make sense. He also makes this argument with the gift of tongues. Then he says, I will sing praise with my spirit? What is that? How do you do that? I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind also. So, if some of you are in here, you're like, I don't know how to sing with my spirit, and I don't know, I know how to sing with my mind. I read the words that are on the screen, and that's all I'm singing. But do you ever have a moment where like, you're caught up in the things of the Lord and just a, a, a song comes out? Maybe not, but if, if that's a thing that's happened, or maybe it wasn't in song form, but you read a thing or saw a thing that God did, and all of a sudden you're like, pra- praise the Lord. God is so good. What is that? That's the inward, the spirit part of you going, woo, praising with the spirit. But if all I stood up here and did was, woo, woo, all you'd be like, That dude's insane. So he's like, but don't, so don't just sing with your spirit, inward part of you that gets to cry out Abba, but also sing with your brain, with your mind. Understand the truths that you're singing. This is why we want to marry the word and the spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 14. But the Bible, Ephesians 5, 18 to 19, uh, it says, be filled with the spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Here's the question. Is that a command to you? Did an apostle write that? If you don't know, yes. And he says, number one, there's a a command to be filled with the Spirit of God, which is God, third person of the Trinity, so that your inward reality reflects the things of heaven, okay? Well, that's not the point of this sermon. And he says, what was supposed to happen is when we walked in, do you know how you're supposed to address me? With a psalm. You're, do you know that the middle of your Bible, that big chunk of psalms, are actually songs? So he says, address one another in psalms. So when you're to gather together, you should sing these things that God has written down. But then he says, and hymns are those psalms are they the same thing so there's these psalms which i believe are is the book of psalms david wrote them the sons of Korah wrote them they are deep truths rooted in temple worship uh that's where they wrote most of those things staring at the temple of god staring at the holiness of god staring at the presence of god and then writing down songs to the goodness and the glory of the lord then he says there's these hymns i think We have modern day hymns. They had hymns too. They weren't the Psalms, but they were songs of the people of God. Y'all know those songs, right? Everybody in here, if I was like, what's your favorite worship song? The song that just like, it gets on and you're just like, glory. Y'all have that song? Name it. Say it. Come all ye faithful. Not expecting that, but all right, there it is. Come all you faithful, and the thing is, depending on what era or generation you were born, or maybe even your propensity to, uh, I I like hymns, or I like contemporary, or I like flat, whatever it is, we would pick different things. Hymns can be very, very opinionated. And I'm not talking about just the style of hymns, I'm talking about songs written down by the people of God that aren't in Scripture. And then he says, and spiritual songs, Okay. And I think spiritual songs, and here's the thing. Why are there three different types of singing here? There's psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Psalms are written down in the Bible. Hymns are written down by the people of God. And spiritual songs aren't written down at all and freak everybody out. Because you're like, what am I supposed to sing? It's on the screen. This is when the people of God respond to the spirit of God, which is in the church of God, to his presence and sing extemporaneously. Not chaotically, just spontaneously. Dave does this. Every anointed worship leader I've met does this. And when it happens, sometimes for for a long time, a guy like me, I was like, "I, I need order. I need to know what song's next. And you've noticed that I'm not so much worried about that anymore. Because Jesus, every time he walked in any room, everything just like, no one cared anymore. And he made a big hullabaloo everywhere he went. And everybody, half the room was mad and half the room's weeping. Same thing happens here. So when Jesus walks in, the goal of the leaders, the goal of even, not even just the leaders, but the people of God is to notice him and respond. And believe it or not, we actually plan what we do here. We do. So we'll write down, hey, we're gonna sing this many songs. But when the Lord comes in and he goes, but now you're gonna sing this one, which one do you think we should do? We're going to go with the Lord. And even if that ruffles you a little bit, I'm not even being antagonistic yet. Like, I'm just saying, like, we're going to choose the Lord. But why would he say that? He says, address one another, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So there's commands. And I don't think, I didn't watch anybody walk in today with, like, psalms or just bust into a hymn. I didn't see any of you in the middle of worship just extemporaneously just start singing spiritual songs. Some of you probably did. We just didn't do it very loud because you're like, people think I'm weird. But that's not the only place in the New Testament where he says that. Go to Colossians 3, verse 16. And some of you are like, man, he needs to get off the spirit. He needs to get off singing. This verse is for you, okay? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Did you hear that? Did you hear it? Let the word of Christ, which has been written down, so handy, let it dwell in you, let it saturate you, let it fill you, hide it in your heart. The output of that, though, is not what you think, Reformed brethren, all right? The output of that is this, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What did we say? Good theology, good study of God, actual reading this, how it's supposed to be read, will always lead to doxology, will always lead to praise, will always lead to singing, will always lead to wonder, will always lead to awe. But what we've been taught is, no, if I fill my mind with this, then I'll be able to tell people they're wrong. That's not how you're supposed to read this. This is not about you. This is about him. And if you read it about him, it produces in a human soul wonder, awe, worship. And once again, do you hear the commands? There's also commands to hide the word. There's also commands to teach and admonish. I worry a lot about the teaching and admonishing, but we don't worry so much about the psalms, the hymns, or the spiritual praises. So let's not be preferential with our treatment of the word. The word says sing. Not just in the old, but in the new. I'll give you one more, and it's really simple. You don't even have to go there. Just James 5:13. This is why we pray for the healing of the sick and anointing of oil, because of the Bible. But James 5:13, uh, the end of it, it says, anyone cheerful, let them sing praise. Just that simple. So you just write that down. Next time you're feeling happy, I'm so happy, just jump into praise. You're like, the Bible says that, Right? And then you start looking at not just commands, but like all the times they're in prison. And what are they doing? Singing. And they're trying to figure out what to do in Acts 6, and they're singing. And then the Holy Spirit comes and tells them what to do. And every time they gather, it says they were just, they were praying and worshiping and waiting on the Lord. And I'm like... And then we get into our mindset in this Western 2023 world, and we're like, I don't like the singing. Let's get rid of that. But God likes the singing. So I don't get to say, I don't like it. I get to say, how do you want it? And so what I've noticed is that singing, this song unto the Lord, uh, is not just in the beginning, but all through the Old Testament, the prophets the law, the New Testament, and then when we talked about first week, and when you get to Revelation, when you get to heaven, there's gonna be a whole heck of a lot of singing. So in the beginning and in the end, everyone's singing to God. So if we wanna be a church that lives that out, what do we need to be doing? Singing to God. Worshiping God in song. With our lives, 100%, but this this series was more about, hey, what does it look like to form our worship when we gather in this room? So I, I like to do just a really quick, like, hey, I, I know we've talked about singing, I know we've talked about this, but here's about 10 things that if I was just to sit down with you and be like, hey, here's 10 thoughts that I think are from God, that I think m- matter. And the first one actually comes in the form of a question. Um, how can we not worship What I mean is, how can a people who are lost in sin and couldn't save themselves and who were pursued by the Son of God and who were died for by the Son of God and then really filled with the Spirit of God, how can we not worship? How can we not the most thankful, glad, singing, dancing, clapping, shouting people on the planet? How can we not worship? And it's bugged me, because for years, I, I would not have called myself a worshiper. I would have called myself a theologian. I would have called myself pastor. I would have called myself servant. But God told us he's after worshipers. And the only appropriate thing that I can see when Jesus comes to a soul that's lost in the darkness and says, you can't save yourself, but I died that I could save you. Do you want to be saved? When that transaction, when that justification happens, when that soul becomes new, and now you're a new creation, and you're filled with the glory and presence of the Lord, is, wow, worship. And and so, in my thoughts today, I was like, I think we just need to, like, come back to the reality of the gospel. And I want to do that in two ways. Number one, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, just real simply says, I delivered to you of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the simple gospel. Jesus Christ died for my sins, and he rose from the dead. He's alive right now offering me life. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He rose from the dead. He's alive right now. His presence is very much active on the earth. By the Holy Spirit that he is now sent to like, literally bring up conviction on the earth and then draw all men to himself. He does not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of his son. God wants you. Do you want him? Now, that's the gospel. And if you've never tasted of the goodness of Jesus this morning... You can repent of your sin, become a son or daughter of God, and experience salvation for eternal life forever. You'll be born again. But if you're in here and you've been born again, which is a lot of church people, why don't we worship? Why don't we worship? And this is where I felt God's heart changed me this morning. Some of you don't worship because of hurt. But you're hurting right now. Life has been unfair. There's pain point after pain point. Cancer hit, dad died, job loss, and you're like, how could I worship? Maybe the other side of this, some of you are so full of shame because you've spent all week doing the very things you hate. You ever have weeks like that? Like, God, I don't want this. But you find yourself there again? Paul talked like that once, you should read. And so some of you are here and you are saved. God has done a work. You have every reason to sing, but you're like, I can't. Look at me. Look at me. God's not mad at you. He's inviting to free you, though, today, so that you will sing, maybe for the first time in a long time. And that doesn't make all the pain go away. That just makes the reality that he's really still good right now. And one of the favorite things he loves to do is come to broken people and touch their broken spots and bring healing and bring life and bring restoration. And this is the other part that might be happening. Some of you have just been so used to listening to the accuser that you think God doesn't want you to worship him. And that's a lie. Some of you are so under attack and so used to shame and so used to condemnation and so used to God doesn't love me, he's mad at me. No, he took that all out on the cross. There is only freedom for the people of God. Freedom to worship, freedom to enjoy, freedom to feel the love of God, the joy of God, and the life of God. So I just want to do one quick thing. I'm just going to have you all bow your heads. And if you're here, and I said, how can we not worship? That was not a judgment. That was, that's the reality But if you're here and when I was like hurt, like you're like, I have pain, like I'm having a hard time breathing some days. Or maybe you're like, I haven't felt the love of God in so long, why would I sing? Or maybe you have shame because you've been doing things you know you shouldn't. And you're like, why would you want someone dirty like me? Or maybe the enemy is just attacking you and he's so unfair and cruel. Jesus is none of those. So, Father, I ask right now for the person sitting here that's hurt. I don't pray for it tomorrow. I don't ask for it in eternity. Right now, would you begin to heal broken hearts? Would you come face to face with this person that you see? You made them, you knit them together, and they are not here on accident. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus for the Holy Spirit to come and minister. And if you're hurt, if life has just punched you and you feel broken, would you hold that brokenness out in front of the Lord and say, God, will you take this? Jesus, will you touch this? I want to worship you freely again. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I haven't felt the love of God in so long. you even care about me? Father, I ask in the name of the Lord that your love would be poured over the people right now. Not just in our heads, for God so loved the world kind of stuff, but into our hearts. You would pour the love of God into our hearts. Break down every wall in the name of Jesus. Break into the reality of this room right now. Set us free to worship. And there's a the last group of you, it's like sometimes you go to worship and then everything gets in the way. And I don't think God blames you. I think there's an attack on the church, an attack on worship. So Father, I ask that you would ruin the enemy's attacks on your people, that you would break agreements in this room right now. We worship the living God. There is no other. And if you've been struggling to worship, will you just say that even under your breath or in your heart right now? I worship the living God and him alone. I belong to Jesus Christ. Say it. Teach me how to worship God. How can we not worship, guys? How when I come in here some weeks, I'm like, I don't feel like it. And I don't think he's like, you best do it, boy. I don't think that's the Lord's heart. I think he's a good father. That's like the best thing for my people is to worship me. And I have done everything to bring freedom and life. Walk in it. And so when I come in and I don't want to worship, that's like the dash light light going boop, 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 change your oil, tires are low, engine's falling out. Because the heart of God for his people is worship. And it is the expression of a heart that has received what God is giving. God's giving it, guys. He's done it. That was point one. And that took way too long. So a second thing is, worship is about a person. And these will go way quicker now, okay? Worship is about a person. Who is the person that our worship is about? Jesus. Just say Jesus. You're in church, right? Everything we do has a Jesus-centric focus to it. He is the Son of God. He is our Savior. He's our Maker. He is God in the flesh. We're following Jesus. We worship Jesus. I preach Jesus I love Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ dead right now? Say no, please. He's not in the grave. And if he's in the grave, we're stupid. Did you hear me? If he's in the grave, we're dumb. But we have a hope. We have a savior. We have a present. He's present right now. Mighty to save. And everything we do starts with, God, I don't want to know around you. I don't want to just get in the camp. I want to get in the tent with you. I want to be with him. And this is the promise of Christianity. And if you're like, no, it's not. It's to have this kind of faith. It's kind of distant. I want to be a deist. I don't want to be a deist. I want to be a Jesus lover. If you're like, I don't know what a deist is, go look it up. Deism. All right? John 17 3 says, and this is eternal life, that they know you. This is God's heart for you. And this is the starting place of pure worship, knowing Jesus. And I mean in the most tangible sense. And I mean knowing his word, yes, 100% amen. Knowing his spirit, knowing his voice, knowing his presence, knowing his touch, knowing his will, knowing his ways, knowing him. And do not let anyone tell you that you can't know him like that and that you have to wait. Eternal life starts right the heck now the moment you say, Jesus, I repent of my sins and I want you in my life. And he goes, I'm never leaving. I'm never leaving. And when you come into church and you believe that he's somehow come back off his promises, he left me, he did not. That's a lie. Everything. Worship is about a person. It's about enjoying a real-life living person. When you get to heaven, who's there? God, enjoying him. Start to learn. I'm giving you permission, church. Learn to enjoy God now. Learn to enjoy God. Enjoyment is the, the, like, you enjoy food all day long. You enjoy your girlfriend or boyfriend. You enjoy life around you. And then I go, enjoy God, and you're like, The maker and sustainer of your soul wants you to know him and then invites you to enjoy him, and he's got all the best stuff. So worship at its foremost, it can't start with you. It can't start with them. It can't start with anything else than Jesus. Thirdly, and I want this to be like a stake in the ground. Everybody get their stake out, All right? You're like, what? You're just going to gand off this thing with me, all right? If we're going to be a church that's going to worship God, we all have to collectively go like, when we gather, you shall not pass. That's what I'm saying. We're, we're, we're just putting a stake in the ground. That the reason the church exists, that the reason of every worship set, the reason that we gather, the reason is not you or me, You have to almost will your, you got to be like, I'm not going for me, I'm going for him. There's so many moments in the Bible where God knows the motives of people's hearts. Did you know that? And they're all terrifying. They're all terrifying because God knows your motives this morning. God knows my motives this morning. And the more that we become a worshiping church, I think the more we're going to encounter the glory of God. And when you mess around with the glory of God, people die. They're like, wow, he just got intense. Do you know Ananias and Sapphira? Do you know that name? So they messed around. And God knew the motives of their heart. God knew their motives. Uh, Several years ago now, I gave a sermon off of Malachi 1, and I probably gave it a little heavy-handed, but it's in the Bible. And it's all about God knowing the motive of his people. Uh, in Malachi 1, he says, when you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the door that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to the setting of my my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. When he says my name will be great among the nations, that's actually like a promise and almost a threat. My name will be great. Will my people make it great? That's the thing. And and, and what kind of came out of my mouth during that sermon a couple years ago was like, it was pretty harsh. But I really did feel like it was the Lord. It was, if you're not here to worship God, I actually told people to leave. Which, as a pastor, I found out you're not supposed to say. But can we just come together right now and say, we want to gather with God and for God? not for us and for selfish motives, but just to make his name great. And the beauty of that, because he's great and he's a good father, we start to worship and lift him high, and he blesses. But I don't gather just so he'll bless me. I gather because I've received everything good from him. And it's just like this beautiful, like I didn't come here to get anything from you. I came here to say thank you. And then he always, he just meets me, and I'm like, "What? you're so good. Can, we, can you put that stake in the ground? And it'll start actually before you come here. It'll start before you ever walk in this room. I don't need you to get up seven hours before and fast and like pour oil all over yourself. I don't need any of that. Just that when you walk in this room, you will even cognitively say, Lord, I'm here for you. And I'll give you whatever you want. And if you're here and you're like, man, this guy's intense, I'm talking to the members, I'm talking to people that are here that are saved. If you're not saved, come watch the Christians burn with love for God. And then when you become one, welcome. So stake in the ground, and I know some of you would differ with me, but the reason the church exists is for God. The reason the church exists is for God. Did you hear me? It doesn't exist for you. It exists for him. It's his church, his house his people, he's the head of it. The fourth thing is the place of worship, the temple, it shifted, did you know that? If it didn't shift, you and I, we need to get on a plane right the heck now, fly over to Israel, get in the right place in the right setting on the right mountain with the right amount of sacrifices, that will please God. But I have good news for you. When Jesus with the woman at the well said, a day is coming and is now here that you will worship in spirit and truth. It is not about that mountain or that mountain, about a physical location. It is about worshiping God. And where is the spirit of God now? Is it in the temple? Is the temple standing right now? No. Where are the temples of the Holy Spirit right now? Everybody just go. I don't know what I'm doing, but I like it right? You, you are filled with God. You house the spirit of the Lord. You have God in you. And he said it, not me, which means worship starts somewhere like in here and flows out. So fill my mind with the truth of God. The spirit of God is here. They smack in the middle of my heart and worship is produced. But if you take out either of those, the spirit or a, sub, like a quenching of the spirit, or "I don't need the spirit," or you don't fill your mind with the truth, worship doesn't happen. He wants worshipers that are worship in spirit and in truth. And he, if, if we wanted to worship in the Old Old Testament, we're not in that covenant anymore. Thank God. Thank God. This is why true spiritual worship can happen anywhere. People in Mongolia woke up this morning, and you know what they did? They worshiped God. Not in a temple made by men, but in temples, living temples. Which means two or more of you gathered, there I am. That's Bible, right? Ephesians 2 says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are building, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What is God trying to do when we gather? Trying to build us together into this body, into this temple, into this living, building structure where it, who? Who's going to live here? A dwelling place for who? For God. That's the whole point of all of this. When any person gets up here and preaches, if they aren't using the word to point to God, get them off the stage. If a worship team comes up here and they are not being like, make a big deal about God. If when we gather, we're not going like, God, we just want to build you a house, be here. And who's going to build God a house? Not us. But he says he wants to use people. Living, building blocks full of his spirit that then build this like spiritual house where he likes to dwell. And then whoever walks in, guess whose house they're hanging out in? God's house. I want to go to God's house. You want to go to God's house? That takes willing vessels that are going, it's not about me. I really do have a reason to worship. He's good and giving me every perfect gift. Bless the Lord. I'm going to go with point four B, so I didn't have to waste a point. So if the temple shifted, did you know that you have a role in there? That you and I, we are a royal priesthood. You want me to make you say it? I am a royal priest. Go ahead. Feels wrong, doesn't it? it? Feels wrong? Any of you go like, not me, you. No, you. No, you. And where you don't understand what the Bible has applied to your life, you will not walk in it. So 1 Peter 2 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lines. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who's received mercy from God in this room? Just get them all up. Mercy lavished upon us, right? And he says some cool things, chosen race, holy nation. But he says, you are a royal priesthood. What did the priests do? The priest brought the sacrifices of the people to a holy God and offered them to him. They were the link between God and man. So when you gather, you're not doing that from a position of, I am outside of the holy presence of God. You're doing that from, I have been put into Christ. It is not improper for you to come into God's house. All my kids don't knock on my door when they come in my house. They just like breeze through. I'm home. Yes, you are. And I'm not saying we should do that with the Lord. I think we remember who we're talking to. But he has given us the right to be called royal priests. To offer sacrifices that are pleasing to him, and what does he want? Hearts. He wants salt. He wants you. He wants the love of his people freely given back and forth. That's why he saved us to be sons and daughters. We are a people of his own possession. So let me do these last five way faster than I did the first five. I think you need to realize that worship oftentimes in the Bible, and this is a theme is involved in spiritual warfare. And we don't talk about spiritual warfare because everyone's like, ooh, but it's really real. Satan and demons are real. Angels and God are real. And so in the Bible, what you'll see is there's these themes, like 2 Chronicles, you don't even have to go there, but in 2 Chronicles, there's a king called Jehoshaphat. Everybody heard the name Jehoshaphat before? And he is being besieged by an enemy army. And he kind of freaks out, but then he realizes God is my God. What am I afraid of? And so we've, I've often joked like in those times, man, like if I had an option, send out the worshipers or send out the guys with swords, I'm probably going swords. Anybody else? But Shehoshaphat actually aligns up a whole array of worshipers and Levites and he sends them out. And what they do is they sing one simple line over and over, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. That's what they sing. They don't sing, great is the Lord, he's going to smote thee. Mighty armies, Lord of hosts. That's not it. It's give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. And the Bible says that in that moment, the enemy armies were thrown into confusion, begin to fight themselves, and then were routed. What's your game plan for your spiritual warfare life? Does it include worship? And this isn't a full teaching on spiritual worship in the form of worship, or spiritual warfare in the form of worship, because I can't, I don't have time. I just think, is there a cause and effect relationship where God's people worship, and then God comes through and routs armies for them? Is there a cause and effect between when God's people worship, then God shows up how strong he is. When God's people worship, All of a sudden, issues don't become issues anymore. When God's people worship, things happen. Is there a cause and effect? That's all I'm asking. Yes. And I've studied a lot. There is a total cause and effect, which means if God's people will worship, God will do what God does for his people. Kind of challenges me a little bit. Challenges me to worship more and worry less. Charles Spurgeon once said, Praise and power go ever hand in hand. The two things, the two things act and react upon each other. An era of spiritual force in the church is always one of praise. And when there comes some grand outburst of sacred song, we may expect that the people of God are entering upon some new crusade for Christ. So even Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, noticed that there was this, when God's people start singing new songs... When God's people start becoming triumphant in praise, expect a crusade for the gospel to go out. You even see things like uh, in 1 Samuel, there's this, it's, it's just weird because we don't do it. But King Saul was given a demon, a tormenting spirit by God. And when King David played his harp, it would leave him. Is that spiritual warfare? I know you're all are like, "We well, got weird." I didn't. It's just in the Bible. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. So I know we're Bible people, and I don't have time to dissect this. What's that about? Let's try it. That's not working. I wanted something to be more dramatic than today. <laughs> you feel free i do i feel free right but do you see the like how it doesn't make logical sense oh saul is tormented by his spirit not anymore what's that about and i think you need to be aware of the counterpoint as well j.i packer said this once he said whenever god moves satan keeps pace and I, this is true. So where I feel this call from God to formulate our worship, who doesn't want us to worship God? Satan. Satan. He hates it. He hates it. He hates it. So if he can convince you that you should not be a worshiper, you should be a theologian, and you can dis-, dis, dis distance that verse about Jesus saying, my father wants worshipers, then he can get you to actually limit what God actually made you to do. Anytime there's an escalation of praise and adoration, which is what I think is gonna come out of this series I'm praying, that we'll start worshiping and adoring, and we won't worry so much if the service goes this way or that way, we'll just be like, I'm just with Jesus, I don't care what these fools are doing, great, Satan's gonna try to stir us up to hate each other, Satan's going to try to stir us up to be like, why is Bill clapping like that? I wish he'd clap on time. Satan's going to show up in all kinds of ways to make us offended, to make us be like, "I, I want to be in control. And God's like, no, you want me in control. And so I need you to be aware that, yeah, worshiping God is what we're made for. Satan hates it, and he's trying to shut it down. And if there is a correlation between God's people worshiping in the Bible, and we said there is and God pouring out, then what? Satan really doesn't want God to pour out. He really doesn't want you free, and he really is trying to destroy the things of the kingdom of God. I keep saying I'm going to go faster, and then I go slower. The thing I notice about worship is it deals with the heart. You ever been really ticked off at somebody and tried to worship? You ever come into worship just like, man, I, uh, Suzanne sucks. And then you're like, praise to the Lord. And you're like, it's just robbed. And what I've noticed is if you can create a church, you can have a church that's like, we're gonna worship God purely. It's almost like a, a preset way to go, we're gonna let God deal with our hearts. We're gonna take seriously this command to offer pure worship. And it's so difficult when I'm resentful or unforgiving or angry to come into the house of God and give joyful, honest praise. That's good. And you should notice that if you're in here, and let's say you are super ticked at somebody else in this room, I will give you a little pastoral push. It might not need to be right there in that moment where you stomp over and go, I don't like how you looked at me. Don't do that. All right? But God loves peacemakers because he is one. And a thing that will stop a movement of the Lord is a people that are bitter, angry, and lovers of self. So if I can push anything on you, it's, when God deals with my heart, it's most often right before I sing my first word of worship. He's like, are you pure? Do you need to go talk to her? Do you need to go talk to him? Did you mouth off and do apologize? I'm like, you're right. And then I'll text somebody and be like, I'm sorry, I love you. Or, hey, will you forgive me? Or, hey, can we talk after this? I want to be free to worship God. Are you free? Like, you see, this is, the people of God want other people of God to worship freely too. And it's not always easy, guys. This, everything I'm saying is not easy. It deals with our heart. There's a promise in Scripture that I tie to worship, and this is point seven. You draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's Bible. If you draw near to God, James 4, 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Say it with me. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What are you going to do this week? Please say, draw near to God. Go after him. Seek him. Worship him even when you don't feel like it and then that exchange starts to happen where all of a sudden you're like, I was worshiping and it didn't feel it and I didn't know it but I sang it because it was in my head and all of a sudden, oh, you're here. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Worship isn't so much just an activity of the head where we get our songs out so we can theologize We can make our theology song for him. Songs are about lovers, enjoyment, singing to a person, and finding him. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Hebrews 11, I'll give you one more, says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Seek the Lord, and when you sing, Oh, I don't have time, so I'll end on, nope, I won't. There's a type of worship that God likes. Did you know that? At least I think he likes it. So King David was called the man after God's own heart. And he was bringing the ark of God into the city of God. And what did he do? Well, he took his clothes off down basically to his tidy whities and he danced. And God doesn't chastise him. His wife does. God doesn't chastise him, his wife does. And he goes, I'm gonna get even sillier than this. That's not how it reads, that's my paraphrase. I'm gonna get even un- more undignified than this because who doesn't deserve it more than him? So it seems God likes worship that's like, I could care less what they think, I'm giving it to them. Another person in the Bible, Mary, anoints Jesus, Right? Comes into a room full of men, which she should not have been in, with a bunch of religious dudes she should not have been, and she breaks open a jar that would have been worth a year's salary and pours it over them, and everybody in the room's like, What the crap's the lady doing? Literally, read it. That could have been sold to feed the poor. Who does she think she is? You can almost feel the mindset shift. And Jesus goes, You leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing. And everywhere the gospel's preached, they'll talk about her. What was that? And why didn't the Son of God, who we're worshiping, go, Mary, you really went too far. Don't, I'm, don't do that. So it seems there is a type of worship, a worshiper that God likes. So I'll give you this admonition. As long as you remain a spectator of people rather than a participant, extravagant worship will, all, it will just never make sense. Have you ever sat in a room and watched people worship? Every time I visit a church, I can't really enter in because I'm just constantly judging it. Not in a harsh way. I'm just like, how do they do announcements? Ooh, I like their brochures. Oh, what? You know, It's just how a church brain works. But you're not called to spectate. You're not a spectator of the things of God. You're a participant. And participants want to participate. This is not the A team. This this is not the bench and this is the game. We are participants in the kingdom of God and the glory of God and the things of God. You are a worshiper and a royal priest and a participant in the eternal promises of a heavenly father. You and I get to worship him. You get to worship him. And there is worship that he likes and he's calling you out. And this is the whole thing. Like I used to worship like this and I'm not mad at you if that's you. If you like Shane and Shane and Hems, God bless you. But there was a moment where I stopped this because it was about me and control, and I started giving God my body, my song, my worship, my tears. I was like, if I just lay here and weep the whole time, I don't care what they think, but it's for you, and you know it. You know it's for you. And I'm so thankful he hasn't asked me to dance in my underwear yet, but if he does, he'll be like, there's Andrew in his tighty whities. And some stranger will be like, what's he doing? He'll be like, dance for the Lord. Break open the thing and give God expensive worship. Worship that costs. Worship that matches the glory of the name that we say that we belong to. And if you're like, I don't, I don't know what name I belong to, better get studying. Sink the word of God. It's true. And it leads to worship. There is the work that the Holy Spirit does in worship, and it's true, guys. If the culture and the atmosphere, I hate, I hate that word, but the atmosphere of heaven is worship. God reigns in heaven. We pray all the time that the kingdom of God would come. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on where? Earth as it is in heaven. What's going on in heaven right now? Worship. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we are called to fill our minds with the word of God richly. And then what? Worship in spirit In truth and there's a work that god loves to do in worship you'll find like when when paul and silas are in prison they are worshiping about midnight and then there's an earthquake what caused the earthquake well i don't think it was their songs like they weren't reverberating the iron or making the earthquake god responded to it though you'll see it again in acts 13 while they were worshiping the lord and fasting the holy spirit said a testimony of my life is i can't count the number of times when we were worshiping and fasting and doing what god told us and commanded us to do the holy spirit showed up and did a thing this is the ministry i love that's why i love leading worship with dave bear we're on the same wavelength i'm going i have a sermon written down he's got songs written down you know what we're waiting for. The moment the Holy Spirit comes in and goes, "I want to do something." And we're like, "I love it when you're here." And when we do that, we see people get healed, you see people get saved, you see people set free. you see things happen that happened in the Bible. And this, this idea, I think praise people have tried to make whole theologies off this, but Jack Hayford you know who he is he just passed away he was a pentecostal theologian actually but he wrote a book and he kind of credited this to psalm 22 you are wholly enthroned on the praises of israel they made a whole theology off it i don't think we have to i think god likes to be to a place he likes to visit the holy spirit is active and moves in places where true worship is happening the primary problem today is that far too many professing christians enjoy everything in life except god I've been guilty of it. I enjoyed CrossFit, and I enjoyed smoking meat, and I enjoyed beer, and I enjoyed running, and I enjoyed, but very little, actual enjoyment of God. God wants his people to know him and enjoy him. Enjoy his presence. Enjoy worshiping him. Enjoy being with him. If not, why are you even excited about heaven? If heaven's just about you not going to hell, you're going to be real disappointed because God's there. God says over and over again, like, you prophesy in my name, and you cast out demons in my name, and you do mighty miracles in my name, but go away from me. You didn't know me. There's an invitation right now in this room, and I don't care what time it is because God's good. I'm going to have Dave come here, David Baer. There's an invitation to know God and to worship him. And if you stay or go, I'm not mad at you. God's not mad at you. I'm not preaching the sermon I said. We're like, you just leave. That's not this. The problem is we, we spend so much time on, well, I got to learn the five, five points of a better marriage. Five points. No, you need to find the man Jesus and let him transform you. You need to give him the worship that you were made to give him, and somewhere in the middle of that, you'll find that he's close and wants to do something. You need to give yourself unreservedly, Christian. Do not hold back worship, but break open the vial. Give him what he's worth. Give him what he's worth. And if you're like, man, I don't even know, you know what this is, you don't even have to do anything. Just sit there and be like, I want to learn how to enjoy you. And I think it actually starts with the actual reverse, God loved me first. God came after me first. God so loved the world is not just the most popular. It's the Bible. Why did God do all he did? God so what? Loved the world. If you want 317, it said God didn't send the son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. God wants to save you. God wants to heal you. God wants to free you. God wants to show you how present he is. God came to save sons and daughters and make them something they can't be on their own. Will you let Him? So can we go back to that place of hands out in front of us? And here's what I'll say. If you don't want to stay much more than two minutes after this, you are more than free. More than free. There's no condemnation in the things of God. Just invitation. And so the, the, the ministry teams are going to come. And Dave's going to worship. And if you're like, I don't know how to enjoy God, maybe linger a little bit and forget about everybody else. Forget about what you're supposed to do. And be like, Jesus, I know enough of your word, and I'm praying where a church that knows enough, that you say I'm a son, but I don't feel like one. This guy on the stage just said, I'm supposed to enjoy you, but I don't even know you. Knowing Jesus is the easiest thing and the hardest thing some days, but it's so simple. Jesus said that anyone that believed in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And that all they needed to do was to repent, turn from their sin, and come to him. So if that's you, in your heart, out loud, say, "God, I repent. I give you my mess ups and my past, and I come make me new. I follow you now. I was worshiping myself. I was worshiping pleasure, but now I'm going to worship you." So God, we hold our arms out. We just we want to know you make us a worshipers, worshiping church right now. Do a movement in the spirit that would break every power, that would keep us from enjoying our Father in heaven. We give it now freely. Not because we have to. Not even that it's going to be the best sounding thing, but because you're worthy. And you have saved us from death. You have saved us from hell. You have saved us from our sin. And then not only that, but you crowned us with salvation and made us sons and daughters that are royal priests in your house. Make this a dwelling place for you, where you like to be, where people come and they are healed, where people come and they are saved by the thousands, where people and the people of God come and they are made new week after week. We give you praise right now. We give you glory right now. We honor you here right now. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.